Welcome to the Sons of Sam Horn podcast. I am Damian Dyden alongside my co-host Justin Gorman for our 23rd episode. Hello, Justin. Hey, how's it going? It's going all right. Uh, we have a, a very busy show in front of us. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday the 26th, uh, a little afternoon, so uh, we have not seen Saturday's results yet by the time we post the episode. Uh, you guys will know how tonight's game has gone. Uh, in the meantime, uh, this may be Justin's last episode, and for the happiest of, of possible reasons. I'll let, I'll let Justin explain. So, yeah, so my, my wife and I are expecting twins in about a month. And, uh, so she's, she's been scaling back her, her work and today happens to be her last Saturday. So we, we finally, for the first time since we've met really have the ability to have, to enjoy weekends together. And so we only have obviously a handful of weekends left before we have two children. And so, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and selfishly take advantage of that and spend some more time, uh, with my wife. How dare you? I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm a heathen. I'm such a horrible human being. For, as as a father of just one child, I, I absolutely understand. I, I don't think I could possibly have squeezed out time for a podcast with two of them over the last year. Uh, so, yeah, well, I wish you the best, and uh, I will continue doing the podcast through the end of the season solo. I may try to get some guest hosts to come in to fill some of the airspace. Uh, but Justin, thank you for for being on this ride with me for as long as you have. It's been fantastic, and hopefully uh, down the road we can pick it up again sometime. But uh, you know, best of luck, and uh, can't wait to see see pictures of the little ones and and you and your wife uh, all over Facebook the way that my wife and I do, and make everybody sick. <laughs> Excellent, thank you so much. It's been it's been a pleasure. Well, let's jump right into the episode. Uh, the Red Sox have had a, a rough week. They they finished up the Yankee series by splitting the last two. They split the series with the Cleveland Indians and then got absolutely blown out by the Orioles last night in what I can only describe as an epically embarrassing night. Oh yeah, that was that was a really really bad game. Um, the only solace we can take is that the Sox still uh, hang on, cling to a four and a half game lead in the AL East. Um, but yeah, this this was not their finest week, and last night was was one of the worst games they've played all year. And you know, Rick Porcello is is really worrying <laughs> me at this point. I mean, it's it's just he when he's off. I mean, it was he was like this two years ago. When he's off, he gets absolutely shelled. And you know, he's his season line is it's a little baffling. Like the the walk per nine is still super low. He's still striking out a decent amount of of batters, but man, he's just he gets crushed. I mean, that home run per nine is is one point six five. Uh, the home run per fly ball is at 14.6, which is up almost 5% from last year. That's right in line yep. for where it was in 2015. So uh, he's he's having a rough go of it. At this point, I don't think I want him in a in a playoff rotation if, if Price is healthy. And I know Price might not be healthy, so we might not have a choice. But, I, you know, if I, if I get my way, he's he's the long man in, in the postseason. Yeah, I agree. I, I would – he's um, – his his last start prior to last night was, was a really great start. But, boy – that's it, it. It just goes to show you that the Cy Young year last year was a complete aberration. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, going back to his his July twenty third start, just looking at the earned runs allowed, he's given up three, then four, then five, then two, then three, then one, then four. It's just it's a really bad stretch, and it's not time of year you want to see that. So yeah, I mean, if it, I, I I don't know if we have any chance of having a healthy price in the rotation for the playoffs at this point, but if we do, even a even an eighty five percent price, I think I'd rather have than Porcello. Yes, I agree with that. 
So, uh, additionally, um, Eduardo Nunez was hurt on a slide by uh, none other than Manny Machado, again, uh, taking out a Red Sox second baseman. Uh, you know, he, he came in, it was, so, part of this, the blame does lie on the throw. It pulled Nunez off the bag toward the first base side, and it put him in the, the path of the runner. But, you know, Machado, he came in a little high. He he wasn't really trying to swing around to the the outfield side and hook hook around the uh, the tag to try and get to the bag. He just kind of went through, and I can't say for certain that it was intentional that he wanted to make contact like that. But you know, it's hard to give him the benefit of the doubt at this point. I mean, he's got a he's got a history of of collisions and causing injuries, and this is the second for a uh, second second baseman on the Red Sox that has been injured by Machado during a slide. Yeah, I. I don't necessarily agree with you on this one. I I, I agree the, the optics didn't look great. So Machado, obviously, the, the, the slide when he was breaking up a double play and injured Dustin Pedroia was clearly intentional. That was dirty. Uh, last night's wasn't as convincingly dirty. It was, one, it was a stolen base as opposed to breaking up a, a double play. And two, Leon's throw was terrible. I mean, it was a it was a throwing error. So um, it, it drew Nunez off the bag and he had to reach down with his glove to, to, to get the ball off the dirt, which I mean, it, 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 with, without that throw, it would not have been a collision. It most certainly wouldn't have been a game ending injury. And thankfully uh, it's, it's not an injury that's going to cost Nunez that much time. My MLB at bat app just showed that Nunez is back in the lineup and uh, batting leadoff today against uh, the Orioles. So obviously it's not keeping him out for any considerable amount of time. I know that it doesn't look good, but I don't think this rises to the level of, of a Chase Utley situation where, where Utley was just, it's just dirty slide after dirty well, slide Certainly after not. Dirty slide. I mean, and, and even the Pedroia slide wasn't on the Utley level. I mean, that was still no. in both, you know, in, in, in in the Pedroia slide, he was clearly trying to make contact. I don't think he was trying to injure, and I don't think there was any intent to injure Nunez last night. But I also don't think he shies away from contact when, when a play is developing and it looks like there's an opportunity to either make that contact or adjust yeah. yourself and try and get around the contact. I think his yeah, instinct just, is, to, is to just let the contact happen. I, 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 you know, I feel like that's the case in double play balls. Uh, this is totally different. I, I don't think – I mean, he's just – he's – trying to go shortest direction from, from point A to point B. He's trying to steal a bag. Leon threw it terribly. The, the Red Sox, one of the things that conflated last night's terrible performance was the fact that they committed five errors, one of those being Leon's throwing error. So I, I just don't think this rises to that level. And it just, to me, I, I know it, it's easy to kind of pick on Machado because of, of how it went down with Pedroia. I just don't think this rises to that level. Yeah, I don't, part of it might just be some backlash in my own mind since I defended Machado as as not being dirty during the Pedroia slide as vociferously as I did. But you know, it's I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm frustrated. You know, you got Pedroia's on the DL with a knee injury that is is stemming from that collision. Still, it's still the same knee. It still hasn't healed, and we've lost our you know our all star second baseman because of it. And now you've got the you know, Nunez comes in, takes over, and is is doing an admirable job. Admirable job. He's He's hot and he's looking good at the uh, you know at the second base bag and now he's you know taken out of the game and you know at the time you had no idea how bad this was going to be you weren't even sure exactly what was hurt turns out it is a sprained wrist slash thumb that is exactly how the Red Sox worded it but you know thankfully it's it's looking like a short term thing as he's back in the lineup I'm hoping it's not that they have no option for filling the spot on the roster right now and they're forcing him back out there with some soreness. 
You know, I'd rather they they deal with a, a Lynn or Marrero at second base for a couple of weeks and get Nunez healthy for the playoffs, if that's the case. But there's, I mean, there's no reason to assume that's what's happening. But, you know, it's, uh, the, the situation's just kind of ugly all around. Yeah, we're... I think we're at a we're at a knee injury. The, the 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 hand that's injured was the one that he had to scoop the ball off the dirt with. So again, I, I don't think that that injury happens if it's not for a terrible throw by by Sandy Leon. Oh, the throw is a huge part of it. I'm you know, I'm not yeah. saying that uh, Leon is absolved of of anything in this situation. He you know he initiated the situation. He created the situation by throwing the ball as badly as he did. Yeah. But. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, that, that was how last night's game went. And that that's that that one play is kind of a, a good encapsulation of the entire night. They yeah, lost sixteen the rest, to the three. The, the, the rest of the game is completely forgettable. Yes, I, well, except for Mitch Moreland pitching, and then uh, Chris Young apparently pinch hitting for himself. Yes, which um, which was fun. Uh, the, we're I, I believe that we're going to have an article written on that uh, sometime in the next couple of days. Uh, I know Brandon was kicking around. Uh, the idea as uh, something he might want to write, but the long story short, uh, Young was was replaced by Hanley Ramirez, and then he later came back into the game and pinch hit for Hanley, and nobody caught it. So he kind of pinch hit for himself, which is amusing. Uh, but at that point, in the game didn't really matter. They were down sixteen to three. So uh, moving on, um, we had another really good start from Doug Fister. Uh, Possibly the bright spot of this week. One of the bright spots of the year. He that was a fantastic start. And I mean, you know, he uh, gave up, you know, gave up the home run right off the bat, and then after that, it was just like, nope, all done. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, and this is this is as close to a you know, close to no hitter as you're gonna get, and he just absolutely, I mean, he looked fantastic, and leads me to ask, is he any good? Eh. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's it's <laughs> he he's he's okay. I I don't think he's good. I think he's still Doug Fister. He's had a couple of years where he has been a, a legitimate starting pitcher, and I, I think he's he's okay. But he's to me, it, his numbers show that he's he's kind of one dimensional. When he's able to keep the ball down, as he did uh, the other day, he can be extremely effective. So three of his last four starts, his his ground ball rate has has shown his his strength. Right. So on July thirty first. He had a 57.1% ground ball rate. He pitched seven and two-thirds innings and got the win. August 6th, he had a 57.9% ground ball rate. He went six and a third, got the win. And then this past, was it Tuesday? The 22nd, he had a 55% ground ball rate, and he had a complete game one hitter. Just as you said, the the one hit that he went up was the the leadoff homer to Francisco Lindor. And then he just shut the Indians down for the rest of the game. Now, the one game that I'm missing in that in in that stretch was August 14th. He got shelled, and yeah. he had a 33.3 percent ground ball rate. So the key to, the key to his game is to keep the ball down. If he's able to do that, then he, geez, I'll say is more effective than Rick Porcello, um, because Porcello has has had nothing. I'm Doug not Fister, sure. At least. I'm not sure. I draw a stark line between Porcello and Fister on the season overall at this point. No, I wouldn't. That's and that's saying more about Purcello than Fister. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's had some really good starts and he's had some really ugly ones, and I think that's just what he's going to be going forward. And I mean, obviously, this is one of his best starts of his career, and I don't think he's he's going to come back to that at any point this season or in the postseason. And if they're in the postseason, I don't want to see him in the rotation. He should be a long man. He should be depth in the pen um, if he's on the playoff roster at all. And um, yeah, it's, I, I, I agree. I think he is probably about the best description of what yeah. he is at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think he could be an effective if you're bringing Price back and Price has any health concerns. I think having Porcello and Fister as longmen in the bullpen is a pretty decent insurance policy. Well, I mean, one of them is probably going to have to start unless they can find somebody internally. Like if Henry Owens somehow figures it out, or Brian Johnson no. is available, or something like that. And I, know, I, I, I agree with you, Henry. I Owens, can't believe no. you even brought up Henry Owens. I'm just, I'm just saying. You know, they, they, those are like the only names they have in in AAA yeah. who are even worth considering. So, uh, you know, I, I think one of these two is probably going to end up in in the rotation of the playoffs if Price isn't healthy. So let's all hope that Price gets healthy. Um, just just as a thought exercise, I tried to find the most beneficial sample size I could for Fister on the year, and I, I found from from seven twenty through through the no hit or the the almost no hitter, uh, that's the best sample I could find. He had a three eight two ERA with a four two four FIP and a three point three four x FIP. That is as cherry picked as I can get, and it's still eh. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's he's you know I, I like him as the sixth man as a guy who's there to step into the rotation if and when injuries happen. I like him as a long man when when you're either blowing a team out or a team is you know blowing them out. Uh, but I don't really want him in anything more than that role. No, I agree. All right, well let's uh, speaking of the bullpen, let's let's look at Carson Smith real quick. He's he's progressing through his rehab. And he's had three really good outings in a row at AAA where he hasn't given up an earned run. He's only given up one hit between the three innings that he's pitched over those three outings. And he's starting to look like he's got some effectiveness. And I think you and I probably both agree that there's no chance that he should be a 7th or 8th inning guy down the stretch or in the postseason. But he might be able to give these guys a a nice middle reliever arm that can maybe get a... uh, uh, get a, a, in a bat off the, off the roster or somebody like that so that the the back end of the pen isn't quite so questionable. Yeah, I I'm not I'm not even sure who you replace at this point. I would if if Carson Smith's movement is is as is as advertised as as people are saying, then he would already he could step in and be more effective than Matt Barnes or pin straight Joe Kelly. Um but I yeah, we're not we're not having him come in this year and be a seventh or eighth inning guy. He still has some healing left. He still has some velocity to build up. So, what what's most encouraging about Carson Smith is not only that he might be able to contribute as a middle reliever type uh, towards the end of this year or possibly in the postseason, but he he's looking as though if he builds up his velocity, he's going to be a very viable late inning arm next year. And just to to touch on that velocity real quick, he is still living in the eighty eight to ninety one range uh, by all all reports. So he used to throw ninety two, ninety three, ninety four, and he needs to get back up to that if he's going to be that setup guy. And that probably isn't happening this year. So uh, yeah, I think I think uh, middle reliever, you know, give you some more depth in the bullpen. Um, that that's probably what what his future is for two thousand seventeen. All right, now we got the Yankees, huh? Yes. Man, what what? Uh, <laughs> Where do you begin? Uh, you know, I think we begin just as we just did. Um, the Yankees and the Tigers had three bench clearings. Uh, I, I don't want to say three brawls because the the middle one wasn't really uh, all that exciting. It was mostly just some you know, chirping and some chest bumping and stuff. Uh, but the first one was an all out brawl, and the third one was was pretty angry. Brett Gardner was looking to take somebody's head off, but uh, no punches were thrown at that point. Uh, but it, it that was an ugly game. Uh, ugly things happened, and it started with with Gary Sanchez going yard early. He's been really hot, and you know he's he's hit a bunch of home runs lately. And the next time he came up, uh, you know, 
I think it was the first pitch of the at-bat, Fulmer hits him in the hip. And, you know, his reaction makes me think it wasn't intentional, but I can absolutely see why the Yankees would think it was. You know, the the context of the situation and... Uh, it's it's understandable that the Yankees felt slighted in that in that situation, um, but I I just you know looking at his reaction, he immediately grimaced and turned and he was frustrated with himself, and you know it's it, it got away it probably got away from him, but the Yankees decided they had to retaliate and and Conley throws behind Miggy and I don't know if he was trying to hit him if he was trying to throw behind him doesn't really matter he gets thrown out of the game immediately and you know warnings are issued and Girardi comes charging out I mean he didn't even come out to to have a discussion he got to the ump and by the time his momentum had stopped him had had stopped like by the time he had come to a stop in front of the ump he was kicking dirt at him already (laughs) <laughs> like, like he almost, it was almost like in, in hockey when, when somebody, you know, comes in and, and edges to, to slow down and, and the, the, uh, you know, the ice kind of sprays up the snow. He came sliding and it just kind of started kicking dirt as he was yeah. coming to a stop. Joe jo- so. already channeling his inner Lou Pinella. Yes. Um, I was surprised he didn't throw rosin bag grenades, but. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so he gets thrown out of the game and, you know. Chapman starts warming up. Before he can even take the mound, Miggy and, and Austin Romine start chirping at each other. They're, they're going back and forth with, uh, with some words. And they have very different accounts of what was said. And there's no way to, say, there's no way to know who was, was telling the truth in their recaps. But the mask comes off. And, I mean, the mask hadn't actually gotten all the way off of Romine's face. And Miggy was pushing him and then immediately started throwing punches. Now, let me be clear here. Mickey is is the one who took this from sort of a tense situation into the ugliness because he didn't he starts barking at a catcher whose pitcher had just tried to protect their hottest hitter and the hitter doesn't need to be doing that he's not part of the situation you know, all that all that much right there like you know the ball didn't actually hit him he didn't need to be barking like that so I get why Romine was upset but the second the mask comes off shoving punches benches clear. And you know, within moments, you have Gary uh, Gary Sanchez charging in and and throwing sucker punches at Mickey on the ground while he's completely helpless, uh, which is a really bad look. Like my opinion of Gary Sanchez went down in this incident, and I, I don't think I'm overreacting when I say that because he just he targeted a guy who could not protect himself, and he started throwing punches at him. He gets yeah. pulled off, dragged away, and then he comes back into frame and starts throwing punches at somebody on the ground again. I couldn't tell. There's too much movement, too many cuts in the uh, you know in the video for me to tell if that was still Miggy or somebody else on the ground at that point. But, I mean, he goes right after somebody on the ground again. I mean, it's yeah. it's as cheap shot as cheap shot gets. Yeah, and, and I kind of agree with you. You know, I still like Sanchez, um, but I, you know, and I hate to analogy and make this analogy but and because Pedro Martinez is so you know indelible in my mind but I I definitely squirmed when he threw Don Zimmer to the ground (laughs) and this was at least almost reminiscent of that at least with Pedro Don Zimmer came charging at him and he Zimmer was 80 but he still can't excuse that behavior I'm not excusing it but I'm saying it's not a good not a good analogy because Pedro was on the mound and had you know 300 pounds of man charging at him and he kind of sidestepped him and hip tossed him yeah, could he have, could, could he have just man. you know could he have just sidestepped or could he have just backpedaled <laughs> yes. until somebody grabbed him? Yes, he could have, but you know at least he didn't look and go, hey, look, there's an eighty old man I can throw on the ground and run over and you know and, and freaking rock bottom him. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in this enough. case, Gary Sanchez looked for somebody who was on the ground and tied up and just went over and teed off on him, and that's I think that's a, a, a that's a slight of a different kind. Yes. Uh, anyway, um, so. The scrum ends up being pulled apart. Players get ejected. 
And uh, l- later on in the game, Dylan Batances uh, goes up and in against James McCann, and it, he plunks him square in the square in the logo on the helmet. I mean, uh, it's you couldn't at have hit the helmet at ninety-eight miles an hour with a fastball, and it was an 0-1 count, kind of some good cover, like first batter of the inning, 0-1 count. Don't want to put the first guy on, so throwing at somebody in that situation gives you a little bit of cover. I don't know if it was intentional, and to be frank, I don't care. You can't, in that situation, in that context, you, you can't choose to send a, a message pitch anywhere near the head if that's what you, if that's what he was doing. If his, if his plan was to send a message but not hit him, he made the wrong choice, irregard, or irregardless, regardless, irregardless is not a word. So, um, re- regardless, uh, I'm so flustered I'm using words that don't exist. I know. It's a- <laughs> I'm just sitting here and enjoying it. Anyway, you can't throw at somebody's head or anywhere near somebody's head in that situation. So, so Batances crossed the line, no matter how you, you you want to react to it. And in those in that situation, I think the only response the league can give is to treat it as intentionally hitting somebody in the head and suspend him as such. And we'll get into the the reaction from the league later. But Batances went up and in. It hit somebody in the head, and he's got to own that. If you can't be, and we'll go back to Pedro, if you can't be one hundred percent certain that you're going to hit a millimeter by millimeter spot. You can't take that chance. And he did, and it hit him in the head. So the bench is cleared again. This time it's yelling, some bumping, a little bit of shoving. And after the you know, after the, the, the bench is cleared, uh, that's when Batances was finally ejected. He wasn't ejected immediately, but they did throw him out of the game. A little bit later in the game, uh, Justin Wilson comes up, and he plunks Frazier on the hip. And let me just point out, if you're going to hit somebody, this is how you do it. You throw low. You don't throw at their head. So at least Wilson did it, quote-unquote, the right way. Even if you disagree with throwing at people in general, he threw it low where he's not going to hit somebody in the head and potentially kill them. Uh, so, you know, definitely an intentional thing. He, he didn't even try to hide it. Uh, the bench is cleared again. Uh, Wilson and Brad, Brad Osmus got ejected, so both managers are out of the game at this point. And the league came down with suspensions after the fact. Uh, the suspensions are, you know, Cabrera had the biggest one with seven games, then Romine got two. Um, you know, he, I, I think that's probably fair. He got two for defending himself, and he'll probably be able to argue it down to one or maybe get it wiped. Uh, Sanchez, Gary Sanchez got four games, second largest. I think it should have been as large as Cabrera's. Uh, what he did was as egregious, if not more so. Uh, and then you've got Wilson getting four games for capping off the whole evening. Uh, and Brad Osmus, of course, got suspended for one, and I'm I'm kind of flabbergasted that Joe Girardi didn't get get tossed. But I guess since he or didn't get uh, suspended, but since he got tossed before Batances threw that pitch, I guess they couldn't put that on him. No, they 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 couldn't. So I guess that I guess that does make sense, as begrudgingly as uh, I, I am admitting that. But uh, seven other players were just fined. Batances was not one of them, so there was no yeah. punishment I, at all for Batances hitting no... somebody in the head. I have no rash. There's no way to rationalize how Justin Wilson got suspended four games and Dylan Patances got nothing. It's, it's I, this is like, this is such an egregious error on the part of major league baseball. Dylan Patances is a major league pitcher. There's no excuse for a major league pitcher who can throw almost a hundred miles an hour plunking somebody in, in the head. There's no excuse for it. Once you get to that level, if you don't have that level of control, I mean, he does. He has that level of control. He could have avoided that. Justin Wilson, just to your point, hit Todd Frazier in the hip. Whatever. So, I I know a lot of people listening are going to disagree with me on this, but I don't tend to believe that Joe Torre actively looks for instances in which he can come down in situations that help the Yankees and hurt other teams in the division or in playoff races and such, like the Red Sox. Um, I know people disagree with that, and... I, 
as as much as that is a position I, I I still believe in, it's it's become much more difficult, if not impossible, to argue that in in the wake of these suspensions because yeah, I mean Sanchez not even having as many games as Cabrera now Cabrera deserved a lot of games. Mickey did some some bad stuff. I mean he he instigated a confrontation with Romine after the ball went behind him. You know he immediately attacked as soon as the mask came off. I mean he and he was unapologetic after the game. He did everything wrong, so he yeah. deserves a lot of you know, a big suspension. But how do you not give San? I mean, how do you not deter that kind of behavior by coming down as harder, if not harder, on Sanchez? I mean, you, I, you, I, you, I I agree with you. I think Sanchez and Cabrera probably deserved equivalent um, suspensions. At least Sanchez deserved a suspension that wasn't equivalent to Justin Wilson. Um, but I think honestly. Batances deserved the highest suspension out of anybody. Anybody I agree. in that situation because you have to deter the behavior. You have yeah. to. You have to try and dissuade pitchers from from thinking they can go up and in and hope it doesn't get away from them. Because that's how somebody's eventually somebody will die. You got guys throwing ninety eight, hundred miles an hour, and it's hitting people in the head. Somebody will eventually die. They need to stop this. Let's turn to something a little bit more positive. Uh, you and I had had a bit of a, a Slack chat that we decided to throw in here as a segment. And, you know, the, the question is, you know, Joey Votto, what is he as a, as a Hall of Fame candidate? And we come down slightly differently on it. We're both very pro Joe, Joey Votto. We both think he's going to go to the yep. Hall. Um, you th- you seem to think he's probably there already. I, I, I'm thinking he needs a few more years at his current levels before he's going to get over the hump in a couple of areas. Uh, but why don't, why don't you start us off? Yeah, so I, I think, obviously, a couple more years is, is only going to serve to help his case um, because that will enable him to to get some of those, and, and I you, you call them the countable categories, and, and that's probably that, – that will help, obviously. Getting a couple more – getting some more hits, getting some more home runs, getting some more RBIs, the, those classic categories that Hall of Fame voters care about arbitrarily, that will help. However – if, heaven forbid, Joey Votto were to get injured and his career were to be over at the end of this year, I still think he's got the case to be a Hall of Famer. He has a career 427 on-base percentage. And, and this all came about because Joey Votto currently has a 445 on-base percentage. And that got me looking at what what's his career on-base percentage and how does that compare all time? So Votto has been in the league for 10 years. He's got a 427 on-base percentage. And he's 11th all time. Now, that list, 1 to 10, is Ted Williams, Babe Ruth, John McGraw, Billy Hamilton, not the one on the Reds, Lou Gehrig, Barry Bonds, Rogers Hornsby, Ty Cobb, Jimmy Fox, Tris Speaker, and then Joey Votto. Um, he is, he's on a list, uh, on, on the short list of some of the all-time great hitters. Um, he has, by far, the highest active career on-base percentage, your boy Miguel Cabrera is a distant second at 396. Who that relevance? Miguel Cabrera is tied for 66th, 66th all time. Um, and then Votto has a career 158 WRC plus, and so WRC plus is is generally equivalent to OPS plus. And and you know once once I'm done kind of explaining, please feel free to correct me on that. But he's. His OPS plus is also 158, um, tied for 16th all time. Um, 
when when researching that particular statistic, uh, the the item that jumped off the page at me, Mike Trout has a career is is currently sixth all time in OPS plus, which is just absurd. It's Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Barry Bonds, Lou Gehrig, Rogers Hornsby, Mike Trout, then Mickey Mantle. Um, anyway, so Votto has ten years under his belt. A lot of the Hall of Famers on these lists only played a couple more years than Votto. Obviously, longevity is a big. It's an important piece to a Hall of Fame resume. I don't think that his stats, his stats are so good and so sustainable and so sustained over the last 10 years that he, he could very well go in at this point. He could very well have a Hall of Fame caliber resume. resume. Um, I also think, you know, he's he's such a well-rounded hitter at this point that there's no reason to think that he's going to head for a severe regression in the next year or two. Um, and he plays in Cincinnati, which is a bit of a bandbox. So he's uh, he's and his contract is such that nobody's going to pro- he's probably not going to be moved. So he's still going to sustain this pace for a couple years. But I don't think it's it, I don't think it's out of the question that if his career were to end at the end of this year, he he wouldn't be, he wouldn't qualify for the Hall of Fame. I think he would. So before I get into the disagreement, let me at least point out that I agree he's a virtual lock to get there. Like I, I don't think there's there's any chance he's going to regress enough fast enough to to not get the the areas where he's deficient in my mind uh, to to where they need to be. But for me, it's longevity. I mean, look, ten years is a great run, but you know, you, you t- I'm gonna I'm gonna look at this list that you brought up for the the OBP leaders. You know, just going down one at a time, and you got Ted Williams. You know, you had. 2,292 games. You had 2,503 for Babe Ruth. John McGraw uh, is one of the lower ones at 1,099. Billy Hamilton at 1,591. Then you've got Lou Gehrig at 2,164. Barry Bonds at 2,986. Hornsby at 2,259. Ty Cobb at 3,035. Jimmy Fox at 2,317. And Tris Speaker at 2,789. And then you've got Joey Votto at 1,397. He just... He hasn't played anywhere near as long as those guys. And the reason why those OBP numbers are so impressive for the rest of that list is how long they maintain them. You know, the, the idea of, of longevity, it's, it's not just staying on the field. It's staying on the field and keeping your production at a level that keeps these rate stats up in this stratosphere. And so, you know, Votto might play seven more years and that OBP may not drop, but it also might. That's a lot of time for for his stats to drop a little bit, and I mean that three thirteen batting average, that four twenty seven OBP, and that five fifty one career slugging, they all look great right now. But uh, you know you got to do it over a longer period of time, and I mean there are very few players that I think a ten year career is enough to get them into the home to, to the Hall of Flame, uh, Fame, Hall of Flame, uh, the <laughs> Hall of Fame. Uh, currently, you know, the only other only guy in the league I can think of who I, I would say might have a chance of getting in with a 10-year career is Mike Trout. And, you know, he's, it's, I mean, that's a completely different scenario. You're talking about a guy whose who's lowest, um, you know, if you look for his lowest WRC plus, is 167? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't gone, he hasn't gone as low as Votto's career WRC plus. And, you know, it's so again, Votto is a great player, and I think he is going to finish up with a Hall of Fame career. I think it's almost a lock that he will finish up with a Hall of Fame career. I just, I don't think he's there yet. And I mean, you look at the, the counting stats, which matter to the to the voters, these these big numbers that, that the voters really, they look for when they're casting their vote. You know, the home run total is, he's only at 254. You look at the run scored, 
45. He's at 819 runs batted in. You know, it's uh, total hits so far, 15, 48. I mean, those magic numbers. I mean, that magic number for the hits, 3,000, that's almost twice what he has right now. So, I mean, it's the the, the counting numbers matter because they, they indicate longevity. And they, they take those rate stats and they put a put a stamp on them. You know, they put a Hall of Fame stamp on those numbers because they were maintained over such a long period of time. So I don't think he's there yet, but I think it's it's going to take either a career-ending injury uh, in the very near future or, or just a decision to walk away from the game because he's bored uh, to keep him out of the Hall of Fame at this point. Yeah, I agree. All right. So I won that one. Hooray. Um. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but I do agree that he's a, he's a virtual lock. It's, it's highly unlikely that his career ends at the end of this year um, or at any point before he's got 13 or 14 years under his belt. I do think he's going to sustain this pace. I think he's a, he's a lock for the Hall of Fame. But I don't agree that he doesn't qualify quite yet. I think that... He's at a slight disadvantage because he's so good at drawing walks that he has fewer at-bats, fewer plate appearances, and therefore isn't able to accrue those counting stats as efficiently as as another hitter because he just doesn't strike out that much and he walks a lot. So uh, I think that there's a little bit of play there that would would enable him to be considered. I don't think – let me put it this way. If, if, If his career ended after this year, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he would eventually get in. I won that one. You didn't. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking speaking of Mike Trout, uh, we did want to stop and talk about him a little bit. It's been a while since we've we've gushed about him, and he missed almost two months of the season this year with that with that wrist injury. Despite the fact that he's missed at this point uh, something like forty something percent of the season, he still has the fourth highest WAR. In baseball, among position players, the only people with more war accrued. And war is a counting stat. Keep in mind, this is an accumulation stat. This is not a rate stat. He has less than only Jose Altuve, Aaron Judge, and Anthony Rendon. That's it. There are no other hitters in the game who have accrued more war, despite the fact that the rest of them have all played basically full seasons like even mike's uh mike's i i cannot say giancarlo stanton the first time when i when i talk about him I'm it's, it's of tough it. yeah no i'm, I, I'm I, used to saying mike too and it's it's inexcusable he's been giancarlo for so long <laughs> it's true um anyway um even giancarlo stanton with the monster run he's been on and the great season he's having and he could potentially win an mvp this year is is still behind mike trout so uh, you know, you, you look at the leaders uh, so far this year, right after him, because uh, Trout is at 5.6, and he's only a half a war behind Altuve. And that puts him ahead of Goldschmidt and Stanton, Charlie Blackman, Corey Seager at 5.1, and Joey Votto at 5.0. So, I mean, this is, and Bryce Harper, as good a season as he's having, is at 4.9. So, you know, this I, I just, I can't wrap my head around this. Like, how, how is he this good? He's got a 193 WRC+. Plus. He's got 26 home runs. Um, you know, he's looking at 60 RBIs. He's got 15 stolen bases. Like, how is he? How has he accumulated this much production in that little time? He's he's the best baseball talent we might see in our lifetimes. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's where we started on him at the beginning of this podcast, yeah. and it's I guess it's it's apropos that we're gonna we're gonna have your last episode touch on that and and reiterate that point. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. I, yeah, he's He's That's just... why, I mean, just because he is that good. Um, he's just, he's the most impactful player I've ever seen. 
it's I, I just I can't I can't I can't remember is, it. It's it's he's amused brain. by the simplicity of this game. <laughs> to quote to quote the great Kenny Maine, he is amused by the simplicity of this game. Bring him all the finest meats and cheeses from throughout the land. I mean, he's. <laughs> it's. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing 4D chess against himself in his head while he's at bat. It's true. <laughs> the guy's, he's just. He's remarkable. Um, and we've said it before. I will say it as many times as I feel I have to. If you aren't paying attention to Mike Trout, drop what you do and go pay attention because you won't see anybody like this again for a long, long time. Though, this year, uh, Giancarlo Stanton is doing his best to draw some attention, and he hit home runs 48 and 49 last night. Uh, I just I wanted to stop for a moment and just point out that he's, he's having a remarkable season from a home run standpoint. He's on pace for 62.6 home runs after last night's eruption. Uh, it's, that's a monster season. Yeah, and if you, if you look at his production since the, um, since the All-Star break, he's just exploded. Yep. I mean, he's he's been a he's at a 163 overall uh, WRC plus this year. His slugging percentage is 661, and he's got a 296 BABIP. He's not enjoying much BABIP luck, despite the fact that he hits the ball pretty consistently, uh, hits the ball hard pretty consistently. Uh, but I mean, he's there's no indication that he's he's going to regress. That this looks like as long as he stays healthy, which is always the question with him. Uh, but if he stays healthy, he's he's going to finish the season really strong. And I don't know if he'll get to 62 or 63 home runs. But he's going to finish somewhere in the the you know fifty five to sixty range at the very least. By my by my quick count, and I might have this wrong, I believe he has sixteen home runs in the month of August. Oh, good lord! Yeah, that's a big sixteen. Month. That's a nice. big month. And if you go back to um, if you go back to the All Star break, he has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven more. Um, so that's twenty three home runs since the All Star break, including four multi home run games. And, you know, let's also point out that, you know, he has played in all but two or one of the team's games. They played, what, 126, 127, something like that, and he's got 125. So he's having his first really healthy year in quite a while. And if he can get healthy and stay healthy, he's he's another one that could charge his way into the Hall of Fame eventually. He's got that kind of talent, and, man, is he fun to watch. Well, yeah, I mean, he's got a 371 ISO. So. <laughs> like, forget yeah. the WRC+. Plus. He's got a 371 ISO. <laughs> Good gracious. And he's a pretty good right fielder, too. He's, he's not yeah. a bad, bad defensive player. So, yeah, um, another, another guy to keep an eye on. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's uh, let's jump into our prospect check-in. And as it is your last episode, I will let you choose which one you want to want to take take this week. Yeah, and, and as we discussed before we came on the air, it's not exactly the, the easiest week to, to take. But I'll take Michael Chavis, um, who is currently in Portland and isn't doing terribly. Um, his numbers, obviously, at high A were, were, were a lot better. He had a 185 WRC+. He was a no-brainer to, to get promoted to, to double A at some point in the season. And now he's played almost equivalent games. He had 59 games in, in high A. He's got 58 games now in Portland. Um, his, his walk rate and strikeout rate are virtually the same, though his strikeout rate has gone down 2%, 2.4%, which is kind of encouraging. Um, he's slashing 263, 319, 507, uh, good for a 120 WRC plus he's adjusting. Um, so he's not having an altogether bad year at, at Portland right now. He's got 12 homers, um, 33 runs batted in, but he's not putting up the same numbers as he was in high a, 
but it it does it does look to me like he's there's a lot of room for improvement in the right way, and I think that he's he's still a, a pretty solid prospect going forward. I think what we're seeing out of him right now is probably closer to what he can be as a pro than his his high Salem numbers. And I mean, those Salem numbers were ridiculous. It's yeah. the 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 three twenty three ISO was preposterous, especially in that park, which suppresses home runs. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, you know, I think two forty four, something in the two fifty range is is, is I, I'm guessing what he's going to have, give or take, you know, from year to year as a pro, which and is not bad. Is, no, it's not bad at all. I think he can be a good hitter in in uh, in the in the major leagues at the major league level. Um, the, the big question is going to be how much does he walk and how much does he strike out? And what's encouraging about the strikeout rate is it's down from, in 2016 in Salem, it was at 25.9%. And then this year in Salem, it was 228 And then he gets to Portland, it goes down 20.4%. So that, he's trending in the right way there. And if he's going to have a walk rate in that, you know, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 range, 9% range, he's got to keep the strikeout rate down closer to 20 because if that rate gets back up close to 30 where it was in 2015, that's that can sink him as a hitter. Yeah, that's uh, but dangerous yeah. territory. Yeah, so I think, you know, I think what we're seeing right now is a pretty good indication of what he can be as a as a major leaguer. You know, somebody who with, you know, decent BABIP luck is going to hit closer to like 275. Uh, you know, his on-base percentage will probably be closer to like 330, 335 and that slugging will be like 525 or so and that's a good. That's a good DH candidate right there. Yep, I agree. Um, and it's he's still worth watching. Um, and so we'll, we'll we'll see what he does. But I, I think he, he's got all the indications of of being able to to be a very good hitter at the major league level. And we're not checking on Jason Groom this week, but just to to throw him into the conversation quickly, based on the struggles he's had and the injury issues he's had this year, it would not shock me. If, if Groom doesn't right the ship early on next year, if Chavis eventually passes him in the top 10 lists for the Red Sox sometime next season. And that might be, get further complicated. Jay Groom injured, isn't he? Didn't he? Just yeah, get, he had uh... a forearm strain. It doesn't sound serious, but they, they decided, you know, he's only got like two starts left at the um, the minor league level this year. So they decided to shut him down and just let him rest and come back fresh. Uh, I don't know if they'll do um, off-season work in one of the uh, the leagues. Like They typically don't send top pitching prospects to the Arizona Fall League, so I don't know if he'll do any kind of winter ball, but um, you know they'll, they'll, they'll get him back on the horses as soon as makes sense. Um, but looking to the, uh, the, the actual pitcher we're supposed to talk about this week, uh, Brian Mata has not had a good run since the last time we talked about him. He's uh, he's struggled a bit since uh, 731. His earned runs give up, given up are are four, then four, then two, then six, uh, and then last night he finally had a good start again at um, zero earned, earned runs given up over five innings pitched. But you know his his overall line has come back back from the um, you know the excellent level it was at when we last talked about him. He's got a 399 ERA with a 3.54 FIP and a 369 xFIP. Which you know those the, the FIP and XFIP are still encouraging. He's still very young for his level, and I you know I, I'm still high on him. I, I think he's he's going to be um, an interesting prospect to watch for the next few years. But I mean he's still 18 years old, so he's, he's a long way off. You know the the struggles happen, and it's this is probably the most innings he's ever thrown at this point. Like he's at 70 innings pitched. He threw 61 on the season last year. He's on pace to probably end up somewhere around 80, 85 this year. So I guess, I'm guessing he's wearing down a little bit. It takes time. It takes you know repetition um, year to year to build up that stamina and, and, and be able to stay consistent for, for an entire season. 
so, you know, I'm not worried about the struggles. I think um, this is just kind of, you know, part of the learning curve. And um, this may be the last time we get a chance to look at him this year. Uh, but yeah, he's he's one we're, we're going to keep looking on, uh, looking at going forward. And that wraps up the show for us. Uh, we are uh, very sad that Justin will be will be departing uh, going uh, going forward. Uh, like I said, I'll probably do some some shorter solo episodes if I can get some guest hosts put together. Uh, we'll do some longer episodes uh, with the same kind of format. Uh, but you can find the uh, the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can find it in any podcast app you might want to use. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I am Damian Dyden. That's at D Dyden, D D Y D Y N. And you can still find me at J One Gorman, J the number one G O R M A N. You can find Sons of Sam Horn uh, on Twitter at Sosh Baseball, S O S H B A S E B A L L. You can find the show at facebook.com forward slash Soshcast. And you can send us an email at socialcast at gmail.com. Uh, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful week. And Justin, we wish you the best of luck, uh, and hopefully you'll be able to hop on as a guest host with us uh, in the future. Yeah, hopefully. I'll see you guys later. That's fine. Uh, well, you can take my arguments and say, well, the, you know, the devil's advocate argument is. <laughs> well, Justin was going to say this. <laughs> you, can, you can do that. You can, you can feel free to run with that. Maybe I'll, do, maybe I'll do a, a, a vidcast and I'll do a sock puppet and I can voice it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I was just going to say, you can, you can use like an alternate voice like, I'm Justin and I think Joey Bob is a whole famer. Mew. Yeah, you can totally do stuff like that. Oh, good Lord. 